the first phrase we sang today, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean, and yet you loved us. For that, Lord, we give you all the praise, all the thanks we possibly can. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to call everybody's attention to the blue card, the connection card. So please fill that out, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. And we'd like to get to know you and how we can minister to you. On the, uh, there's boxes to check there. Do you have any questions? We'd be happy to answer those questions. And, of course, everybody has the opportunity to have a prayer card. So please fill those out, put them in the offering plate. Or, if you like, if, if you're a guest, uh, go to the Connection Center. We'd love to talk to you there. There'll be staff there, uh, Connection Center staff, and also one of the pastors will be back there after worship. So if you have any questions, just uh, go go right there, and we'll, we'll get that to you. Well, today, uh, the pastor is going to be lifting up the shield of faith, right? Where are you? There you are. Wow, you're a third-row Baptist today. Normally, you're right up there. Um, and, uh, and so I, we were visiting this week, and he was, he was reminding me, it takes, you've you got to have trust in that shield. That it's going to do what God said it would do, amen? We've got to have trust in God. And um, so we're going to sing some songs about trust. We're going to sing a song, another song too, and I just, I, I just feel compelled to, to tell you a little bit about it um, because it talks about miracles, right? God is a God of miracles, amen? And so we're not going to be one of those denominations that says, oh, there may be some people teaching strange things about miracles, so therefore we're just going to back off and not say anything about it. No, we're going to say what the Bible says about miracles, Amen. And, and so, so we'll, we'll sing a song about uh, what God can still do miracles, and He can. And, uh, and so we, uh, we just praise the Lord for that. But let's sing another song about uh, trusting the Lord.
We can trust him, amen. He's a commander of the angel armies. I hear you when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Who shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my
Lord God, we come before you now, and we want to continue in this time of worship as we give tithes and offerings. And Lord, we pray that especially that uh, each and every penny that is collected today would further your kingdom, glorify your great name, and uh, bring men and women, boys and girls, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. as we speak of our ever-present Almighty God.
that the three Hebrew boys wouldn't bow. No, we know how there was no backing down. They were willing to lay down their lives, but God in His goodness delivered
Are y'all all getting sick at the same time? <laughs> A symphony of coughing across the congregation. The song for which Martin Luther has been and forever will be remembered is a song called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was written in 1527. If you're unfamiliar with that song, don't read the whole thing during the sermon. But it is in your hymn book on page, seven, on page 8. Uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. On the base of Martin Luther's tomb is inscribed the words... A mighty fortress is our God. It is said to be the greatest hymn of the greatest man in the greatest period in German history. Uh, we all remember, or I hope you do, that in the national service of prayer and remembrance just three days after the 9-11 attack on our nation, a mighty fortress is our God. could be heard drifting through the, por the portals of the gigantic Washington National Cathedral. For our study today, the first verse sheds light on the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work his woe. His craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. On earth, there is not his equal. Now, we know what verse 3 says. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, and one little word will fail him. I'm thankful for that verse. But we live in between the already and the not yet in many ways. And the fact of the matter is, he's still a roaring lion, and he is seeking whom he may devour. So I need to remind you this morning that we are in a war. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Those first three pieces of armor are connected by the little expression chi in the Greek, which is and. So having put on, and, having put on, and, having put on. Notice the grammatical difference in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, do you sense a ratcheting up of the warfare? Because of, in addition to these, or with these things, you've been putting on, putting on, putting on. And now you are called by God to take up. 
I think it's pretty obvious from Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, that we are in a war. It's not an ordinary war. It's not a war against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war, fault, against spiritual enemies. Verse 11 tells us that the enemy has strategies. Verse 12 says that this is hand-to-hand combat, for combat, for a better way of saying it. It is up close and personal. When you wrestle, you actually share sweat. I mean, this is tight quarters. And this is wrestling that's going on. The Bible tells us that in close quarters, up close and personal, you are wrestling against rulers and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness. Verse 13 says, resist and stand firm in that evil day. And our text for today tells us that we have imminent danger right before us because there are flaming arrows being hurled at us from the evil one. This is a dangerous war, ladies and gentlemen. This is a reality that you need to remind yourself of every single day. It's highly possible that you woke up this morning and you will wake up tomorrow morning, Lord willing, and you may not be aware of the war that's going on, but, I, but rest assured, your enemy, the enemy of your soul, has not forgotten the war. He never takes a vacation. He's not sleeping. He has this intention, this motive, this design to destroy your soul. And he will use everything he has. Let me say that by reminding you with permission. Aren't you thankful that he can do no more than the Lord God allows? So with permission, his goal, his intent is to destroy you. So we arrive at the fourth piece of armor And the word of God calls it the shield of faith. Again, the grammar is somewhat a little different. And we'll talk about that for a moment. But remember the overarching point, the division. Stand firm by employing the full armor of God. And we've been putting on, putting on, putting on. Now we're going to take up. Why are we going to take up this particular armor? Why do we need to take up the shield? So basically we're going to see two things today. We're going to talk about the imminent danger. And then we're going to talk about how the shield actually works. Can y'all handle that today? Ready? The imminent danger. Again, I make emphasis again upon the chi or and that puts them together. And this time it is a prepositional phrase that begins this particular verse. In all circumstances. This piece is taken up. Other pieces were worn on them. But this one is taken up. So there is this imminent danger of the devil's flaming arrows. Now with a flaming arrow headed at you. Would you not think this is an imminent danger? Would you not think have an overwhelming sense of urgency with a flaming arrow coming in your direction? So I tell you that to remind you that we cannot afford to be spiritually dull people. We can't afford to do that. We take up the shield of faith of all the flaming arrows. And we take up the shield of faith because of all the flaming arrows of the evil one headed toward us. The word arrow is the Greek word belos. And it can actually be defined as a missile or... Arrows propelled by a bow or darts hurled by hand. 
It could be an arrow, it could be a dart, it could be a spear, it could be a javelin. What are the fiery darts? Well, why does Paul allude to fiery darts? For you movie watchers, you know exactly why, right? If you've watched something of Roman warfare or Greek, any kind of warfare on TV, you know that, especially during Roman times, archers would put cotton or linen material on the tip of that arrow, and they would soak it in pitch, and when it was heated, it was extremely hot. So before they shot the arrow, they would light it, and so when the arrow hit its target, the pitch would splatter and start little fires on the clothing of the soldiers and even on their wooden targets. So just imagine the war scene that we see here. Archers are lighting the arrows all at the same time. And it's a terrifying scene. And they're launching those arrows at the enemy. Or for their sake, at the enemy. But it's coming from our enemy. Hundreds, if not thousands of arrows being hurled and lofted into the sky. Coming in your direction with velocity and fire. I was reading about a Roman historian who tells that these flaming arrows would be used to strike terror into the enemies or into, their, into other armies. Rightly so. And even when the arrows were effectively stopped by holding up a shield, the spreading flames would cause so much panic that the soldiers would actually drop their shields and then at that time they would be vulnerable for the, the approaching army or someone that was face to face. So Paul will use this graphic image. I hope you have the picture in your mind at this point. To let us know that the enemy of our souls in like manner is shooting and hurling these flaming arrows at us. Don't dismiss the title of the enemy here. What is he called? The evil one. It's a common expression used throughout scripture and it communicates that he's wicked folks. It communicates malice. It communicates what Luther's song communicated. His craft and power are great. Make no mistake about it, folks. He's not your friend. He is a cruel enemy. He is the evil one. These arrows that are aflame with the cruel hatred and wickedness of the enemy and malice is coming from the most wicked person in the entire universe. Keep this in mind. He's the evil one. The arrows, kids, from the enemy are not airsoft pellets. When your friends shoot you with them, they intend to really love you. Even though they peg you in the forehead with them. Or in the ear, or in the back, or in the head. We've, we've had some of those wars before. Your friend probably loves you and he's just trying to harass you. When your enemy shoots these darts, he's trying to kill your soul. That's how serious we have to think about this. They come with deadly force. And they're shot by one who hates Christ. He hates the children of God who belong to Christ. These arrows are shot by someone who opposes God. He hates the truth of Scripture. And his intention in hurling them is your eternal destruction. These are no tame arrows. These arrows are armed with cruel hate. As Luther said, on earth there is not his equal. Now, when we talked about schemes of the enemy, 
We said up front, there's no way possible we could ever hit on every scheme or craft of the enemy. He's called the father of lies for a reason, right? We could never be able to do that. He has masterful plots that we don't know of. The assault arrows can come in different forms. Would, would we not list just straight up temptation? Right up front, if we were trying to list these arrows, these darts, would we not list temptation up front? It comes in all forms. It comes in all stripes. Satan fires shafts of, think of this, impurity. He fires shafts of selfishness and doubt and fear and disappointment and lust and greed and vanity and covetousness. We may say that all of those temptations in that list fall under the three headings of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's found in 1 John, 6, 6, uh, excuse me, 1 John 2, 16. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, did he not? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, actually it is, the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. So temptation is nothing less than the fiery darts hurled in our direction. What will we say in our day about false teaching? Is that a dart that's hurled in our direction? I think so. I just remind you, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And it lists out what some of those false doctrines look like. Satan's most dangerous weapons are not demon possession and supernatural displays. His most dangerous warfare dart is error. Not manifested displays, just error. He knows what he's doing. It's his lies that are an assault and an affront against the truth and the knowledge of God. Would we say that persecution is a flaming arrow? Revelation chapter 2. Listen to verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. I think that's pretty clear. Who's behind this persecution? That you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, I want to remind you that we do not negate nor do we nullify the absolute sovereignty of God over his people when they are suffering. Amen? However, Satan's design in persecution is to torment your soul. It is to harass you and it is to separate you. It is to separate you and your confession from the Lord God. Could we say that interpersonal conflict can be a flaming arrow hurled at us by the enemy? You know how this happens. The writer of Hebrews calls it a root of bitterness that grows up and by it many are defiled. Interpersonal relationships. This can be husbands and wives. It can be parents and children. It can be co-workers and members of churches. This is nothing less than an arrow or dart being fired right into interpersonal relationships within church, within life, within family. How about evil thoughts? 
How many of us, even times when it's supposed to be the most sacred communion of all, prayer before the Father, can your thoughts just go awry and you're like, where in the world did that thought come from? And I know that can be, the, that can be just the flesh, but it can also be the enemy firing that dart right into the midst of communion with the Lord. What about doubt and despair and depression? Those are realities that can be nothing other than the result of the darts that are shot at us by our enemy. The commentator Linsky said, listen close, the mind can be set on fire by the devil's lies. And upon the arrow entering the fire, the fire actually sets up a conflagration. Have we had one of those of water lately? Right? A conflagration which turns everything to ruin and ashes. What a statement. What a graphic picture of what's going on in this text when it comes to the devil's temptations. The enemy's aim is nothing less than our ruin. He wants to consume you. He wants to destroy you with these fiery darts. He wants you to be spiritually dull. He wants you not to consider the fact that you're in a war. He wants you to, be, he wants you to stick as it comes with... We don't drive that too much, but we used to drive manually. And he wants you to pop that thing over into neutral. And think you can just coast and everything is okay. Right? He wants you to think you can take a vacation from the war. Yet he doesn't take one. We can't afford to be spiritually dull. I hope you understand that with every temptation, with the arrow of lust, that he fires into our thoughts, his goal is adultery. Are y'all listening? His goal is absolute ruin. When he fires that into your life, his goal is to destroy you. With the air of greed, if Satan can work it out to its end, he wants that to result in oppression and theft. The arrow of greed. Every fiery dart of doubt would become full-blown atheism if he has his way. This is our enemy, folks. His aim for the arrow when it penetrates is to hit and it spread in such a way that the particular sin destroys us. This is not paintball warfare. This is serious. It's not a game. When he begins to bombard you with false teaching, what's his goal? He wants it to spread like gangrene. He is after more than just an occasional wrong thought about God. He's then after wrong notions about God. And then his goal is to bring you to destruction. He wants to destroy your faith. Immorality may have slain its thousands. But false doctrine has slain its tens of thousands. He wants you to believe wrongly about the Lord. He doesn't want you to, to stand on the scripture. He doesn't want you to have confidence in Christ. In persecution, his pressure is aimed to such a degree that he wants you to renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true in a mild sense of persecution, even at your workplace. Why? Because it's a whole lot better to keep your mouth shut. If you stand, then you're going to have your faith under fire. So, so it's so much easier in that mild persecution not to say anything. Just to be a closet, just to camouflage your faith and never say a word. Now, I'm not telling you to be stupid. But I am telling you that this is what happens. We're in those situations. So his goal in mild persecution even is to just close your mouth so that that's one step closer to renouncing what you really believe in. And what about 
the serious persecution that comes to people that, for the most part, live outside the U.S. All the countries of the world where people, even this day, are under severe persecution. If you never read the voice of the martyrs, you ought to read it. Because we're so unaware of what's going on in our world. We think every, everything's hunky-dory in America where we have absolutely no persecution for the most part. If we do, it's just mild. But over there, it's the real deal. What's the enemy's goal? His goal is to destroy your faith. When the devil, devil fires a dart into the interpersonal relationships, his goal is not just to make a little rift that's going to last a few minutes and you get over it. He... And his goal is for deep penetration with that arrow that consumes and destroys. And in the end, in that interpersonal conflict, it is so filled with bitterness and hatred that you end up with the words of Hebrews 12, 15, and you're cut off from the very grace of God. You say, well, that, that's stern teaching. I've been in a church a long time. I've watched people a long time. And I've watched how those interpersonal things can absolutely cut your life off from the grace of God. You better be mindful of this. You better listen. There are many more darts. That dart of despair and despondency and depression. The enemy wants you to be in the dark. He wants for everything to look dark so that you can't see any light. And there's many, many more, but trust me, he's aiming at your destruction, utmost destruction. The evil one is an extreme danger to our souls. We should all absolutely hate such a cruel enemy. Just look at our world. He's one who seeks to bring about such destruction in human lives. He seeks to destroy marriages right before our faces. He seeks to destroy families and nations and young people, and churches, and communities. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. And we are to hate that with a militant attitude. Let this resonate in your mind. He is the evil one. He's the evil one. Husbands and fathers, you are in a war. Whether you realize it or not. Moms, wives, you're in a war. Young people, you are in a war. Our enemy lights those arrows on fire, shoots them at us, and he is a very, I think I'm a pretty accurate archer. We do not compare to him. He knows exactly where to place that arrow. He knows exactly where the target is. He's real, he's evil, and he is a skilled archer. He knows what he's doing. Now the question is how we're going to stand. I've painted it pretty grim, have I not? How are we going to stand against the barrage of fiery darts shot at us? Well, this is what Paul is taking up in verse 16. In all circumstances. The NAS says in addition to. The ESV says in all circumstances. I think the preposition here lends itself to this particular meaning. Are you ready? With all these things. With all all these things. The point is, with everything else, Paul says, that I've mentioned, in conjunction with the first three pieces of armor, make sure you also take up the shield. The New Living Translation, which is a really good thought-for-thought -thought translation, says in every battle you will need 
faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. So an ancient soldier would have his belt on. Are y'all tracking with me? He'd have his breastplate on and he would have his shoes on. With all this on, which was worn most of the time when battle was raging in any, any time, with all this on, also make sure that you take up your shield of faith. It's almost like you've got some protection on, but I'm going to give you double protection. Make sure that you take time to pick it up. It's almost like sitting in a dugout. I mean, most of the time, a baseball player doesn't take his cleats off in between innings, right? He's got most of his armor on, but he better not go out there without his war club, which is his bat. Only reason I say war club, because have you seen the bats that kids use out in the yard to hit rocks? And then they also use those bats in a ball game? Well, if, you, if you've never coached Little League, then you've never seen this before. But if you've coached Little League, we call it the war club because they hit rocks with it, and then they don't care. They just take it and hit balls, hit, take it to the ball field, right? You put your helmet on. So it's, it's like that in a way. With all these things already on, don't forget your bat. Don't forget your helmet. In this case, it's a whole lot more serious, right? It is to take up the shield of faith. Now, the word used, thureon, is the shield. And do you know that in Greek, thureon is almost identically similar to the word door. So that's why we know this wasn't the small round shield. This was a large shield. It looked, in fact, like a door. It was four and a half feet tall and it was two and a half feet wide. And people were smaller during those days, unless you were Goliath. And for the most part, you could put your whole body behind this and it had concave kind of on the sides and it wrapped around. So it was two pieces of wood fastened together and with stretched over animal skin or leather. And the top and the bottom were iron plates. The metal, of course, would deflect the arrows. And the leather was treated with wet type solutions to do what? Extinguish the arrows when they hit. It was big and it was heavy. You could stick it in the ground and you could get behind it. You could actually fasten the shields together. Y'all seen this on TV? And everybody marches together with shields for protection. One of the most common metaphors in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, of God himself is the fact that he is our, fill it in, shield. Can I show you a couple of them? You have to go all the way back to the book of the beginnings to see the first one. Listen to Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Praise God. Do you think Abraham needed to hear that? You better believe it. And then in the Psalms, Psalm 3.3. 3. If you can't turn there, just listen. Mark, write them down. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, don't you love this verse, and the lifter of my head. And then Psalm 18, I'm just giving you a few of them. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield. 
The Bible says, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Who is it that preserves us and protects us? It's the Lord our God, the Almighty, the one who shields us. But what does Paul say is our shield in Ephesians 6, 16? It says that the shield is the shield of faith. It is called a genitive of apposition. You say, why do you have to tell us that? Because grammar is important. And here's what it means. It means the shield which is faith. That's the way that it's translated in the grammar of the Greek. The shield which is faith. So we have to ask the question. Are you ready? Is this objective faith? Meaning the content. In other words, we say we're a person of the faith. Well, what does that mean? Are you a Muslim? That's a person of faith. Are you uh, a Jehovah Witness? That would be a person of faith. We would say, based upon that, that this faith has something to do with the content of what you believe. In other words, Jude 3 says to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Do you hear it? The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So... Is it that faith or is it the faith by which you embraced Christ? Are y'all listening? Is everybody with me? That, that's what this, you've got those options. Objective faith, our Christian faith, made up of content, made up of what the Bible says. Or is Paul referring to the shield being the faith by which you embrace Christ? Now listen closely. Here's a fact. My personal faith and your personal faith... Your personal faith is only as good as the object of your faith. That, my friends, is a fact. It is not the inherent properties of faith, per se, that protects you. But the way in which your own faith appropriates the faith or the thing that is believed. So in a real sense, we cannot separate our personal confidence and the faith in the specific truths that were once for all delivered to the saints. Linsky again helps us here. He says, hold up to the devil, not merely your own believing subjective faith, but the word, the doctrine, the pertinent scripture passages. You are to hold up the objective content of the faith. Of course, also with your whole heart, believing and relying on its truth and its Power. He goes on to say, you may believe with all your might, but that will not be a quenching shield. Satan will easily pierce through that, and you will be set on fire. Everything depends on what you believe. And this is where it's so important, isn't it? Everything depends on what we believe. What Paul is telling us to do with the shield of faith if, is for us to personally appropriate by faith, lay hold of all that God is for us, really, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're doing when you hold up the shield. To take up the shield of faith is to lay hold of the resources of truth, which is true about God, which is true about Christ the Son, which is true about, true about the Spirit, it's true about His Word, it's all the promises that are given in the Word of God. The Bible says in Second Peter that you've been given all that pertains to life and godliness. Hold it up as a shield. Hold the truth of the word of God up. So, we would have to say, 
that this means to take those truths, personally appropriate them by personal faith. John MacArthur helps us here. He says this, to have faith is to believe God. This is the bottom line of Christian faith. He says, the bottom line of everything we believe, everything we hold to, and everything we have confidence in. The whole of Christianity is obedient belief that God, in God, the Lord, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's found in Hebrews 11.6. So I would tell you that faith, the shield of faith, is the consistent application of what we believe about God into the issues of life. That's good preaching no matter who you are. Are you listening? The shield of faith is the consistent application of what we believe about God into the issues of life. If you don't trust him, then you don't know him well enough, folks. Let me just go ahead and tell you. If you don't trust him, then you don't know him well enough. The more you know God, the more you meditate on his person through, through praying. And the more you meditate on his person through praying, the more you will trust him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the same thing. Listen to what he says. Of course, faith includes what you believe. But faith never stops at mere intellectual assent and belief. Faith is always practical. Faith always applies the truth. Faith always points to God and to the character of God. He is the one upon whom we can rely. Faith points to all of his promises and the Bible is full of them. So get to know them, and then you will be able to hold up the shield of faith. Is this making sense? I hope it is for you. The moment the enemy comes and the darts start flying around you, you will be able to hold up a statement of Scripture. That's why you got to know the Word, folks. You hold up a statement of Scripture. You hold up the promises of God. You hold up a truth that will always be true, and God will always be faithful to it. Why? Because our God is unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what you are to hold up when the enemy slings his arrows your way is not just, hey, I'm a person of faith, back off. You are to, by faith, hold up the truth once delivered to the saints. You are to hold up, thus saith the Lord. You are to hold up full, objective truth before the enemy. You do this and Paul says you'll be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. How does the shield work? When those arrows come flying, there's this barrage and the enemy's trying to whip you and he's trying to wipe you out. The Bible says take up that shield of faith in order to stop the arrows and to extinguish them. I don't know what you think about this, but when I think about that kind of warfare in the unceasing nature of darts being that are hurled at us and they're flying and they're on fire. I'm thankful that God has been merciful to us. And he's actually given us something that is de- designed to nullify the efforts of the enemy. He doesn't send you out into the battle and say, good luck, you're on your own. That's not what he does. God has given us something to nullify the intentions that Satan has for your life. You can't survive without the word of God. Understand this. It's almost like Jesus would remind us, any man going out to battle, will he not first count the cost? I hope you have counted the cost in what it means to be a child of God. And so, if you're a follower of the Lord, then this this ends up being so critical. 
as we consider how wicked our enemy is. We consider the evil one. We consider cosmic warfare. We consider that his aim is for the destruction of our souls. God has given you something to nullify everything that the devil can throw your way. What is it to hold up the shield of faith? It is that you don't panic and you don't stop and think, I don't know what I'm going to do. You put your focus on God. You put your focus on the Lord. You, that means your focus has to be on Christ, not on the fiery arrows. Your focus has to be not on the intention of the enemy, but your focus needs to be all that God is in you through Christ Jesus the Lord. At this point, you need to have tunnel vision. Right? You have tunnel vision and you focus on the character of God. You focus on the attributes of our God. You focus on God's work. You focus, you have a focus with a posture that is relying upon God and God alone. That's what you have to have. When we're holding up the shield of faith, we are in a sense holding up that God has promised all these things. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We hold those things up. This means that we latch on to Christ. No need to panic. No need to run. No need to cower down. Hold up the shield of faith and focus on all that God is for you in Christ. Now here's the fundamental problem that develops at this point. If you're in the midst of this warfare and all you have ever been taught in church is that the Bible is all about you, then you're in trouble. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing in our day. Well, we've seen it for years, but we're really seeing this in our day, that Christianity and the Bible is all about us. What book are y'all reading? Because the book I'm reading is all about God, and that has to be the focus. And I hate to break your heart, but the Bible's not all about you. It's about primarily God, and it is about what God has done for sinners, and that's called the gospel. The gospel is not a help-wanted uh, picture on the doorway of heaven. The gospel is what God does for sinners. We need to get this straight. So, if you're to hold up the shield of faith, then you need to get into the word of God and you need to start asking questions. What is God like? Who is he? What has he promised to be for his people? When Satan hurls his arrows at you, the character of God. And his providential grace and care over your life is of utmost importance. If you don't believe he's in control, you're in trouble. Just like in Job's case, right? If you want to read how maybe he didn't respond always the best time, but his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Aren't you thankful for them women like that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, for that one, but, but, but she said that to him. You just need to go ahead and curse God and die. But Job says, how could we not take both good and bad? How can we not as the people of God? So we got to know that his providence rules the day. And what is providence? God sees to it. God sees to it. That's the best definition. So go to the word of God and ask God to show you his character from his word. Father, show me your attributes. I need to have eyes for you, not my problems. Is this making sense? I don't need anybody inside of that prison cell to be a sympathetic cell dweller. I need somebody to tell me how to get out of it. 
I need someone who is, that I can have ultimate confidence in. Father, I need eyes to see you, not me, and my problems. you got to be equipped, and you got to be ready-focused. Dare I say that you need to fill your mind with lofty thoughts about God. It's well been said, God created man in his own image, and we've since tried to return the favor. We have. But understand, you need to have lofty thoughts about God. Read books. If you're gonna, you can get it out of the Bible. But if you're going to read books, read good books. Like Knowing God or Knowledge of the Holy. Read books that fill your mind with lofty thoughts about God. Not human thoughts about God. Read books that have a Godward thought process about the God that we belong to. I want to remind you, the more you know of him, the more effective your shield will be. A small view of God. (laughs) Does the Bible present him that way? The Bible presents him as inexhaustible. The Bible presents him as unsearchable in all his ways. I'm telling you, a small view for God does not make for a very good shield. A God of open theism is a lousy shield. And you say, what in the world is that? Well, open theism is a belief that because God loves us and desires that we have free choice to reciprocate his love toward him, he has made his knowledge of and plans for us in the future contingent upon our responses. In other words, what that means is contingent truth cannot be known by anybody, including God. What's that called? Heresy. God knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows all things. Contingent or not, He is God. And that slipped into church life. Another word for that, another doctrinal uh, name for it is free will theism. That takes free will way too far and out of context with what the Word of God says. What I see in the Bible is that we serve the great Almighty who is robust and vigorous and He's the best shield of all. That's what the Bible teaches. A solid belief and obedience to God and the Bible forms an impenetrable shield. So soak it up, folks. Soak up the character and attributes of God. You realize that He is your shield and your glory And he's the lifter of your head. When the fiery darts come in, hold up what you know to be true about him and do so in faith. This means that your belief in God and his promises must be appropriated. You've got to apply it to your life. And so when the darts come flying in and the enemy comes out to destroy you, you hold up and preach the faith to yourself by faith. You preach it to yourselves. It's to hold up and preach to yourself the glorious truths about Christ and the gospel and God in Christ for you. Own these these realities in your own life through prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. It's coming up in this text, but I'll go ahead and tell you up front. You have to own these realities in prayer. When the darts come in, hold up the shield of Psalm 119.68. You are good and you do good. 
If you've never had a time of the dark, frowning providence of God upon your life, then I've got news for you. You will. And folks, if you don't believe in the midst of that, that our God is good and does good, then you're not going to do too well. He is good and you do good. The truth of God's goodness can extinguish the fiery dart from the enemy. Again, if you've never gone through that, you don't know what it's like to say, God, you are so good and you do good. Father, in the midst of this, I have complete confidence that you do good. And you hold up that shield of faith. And by God's mercy, you make it through another day. Because God is good. And he does good. Let me tell you about a real thick shield. Romans 8, 28. That's a thick shield. Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And that's why you're God and I'm not. But I'm going to trust you. Why? Because you say in your word in Romans 8.28, which is a thick, heavy shield. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And we say to the Father, we love you and we're called according to your purpose. And we don't know exactly how this thing is going to work out, but we trust you. We trust you. Hold up the shield of Romans 8. 32, you may not be as familiar with that one, but listen to the word of God. 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, let that seep into the mind, in your mind. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Lord God, we say to him, when that fiery dart comes into us, It has nothing compared to the sin, my sin that placed you on the cross. My sin that you bore in your body on the tree. Father, you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up freely because of my sin. How will you not with that get me out of this mess from the enemy? Take care of me. What great verses. If you took care of my sin through Christ on Calvary, you can stop this one fiery dart. And he can. How about Lamentations 3? What does the word of God say there for us? Right now I can't find it. Somebody finds it before me, read it. No, I've got it right here. Okay, chapter 3. What great verses. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Do you need to pray that every day in the midst of the battle? His mercies never come to an end. Can you feel the promise of God from that? Never come to an end. Listen, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That is Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. I see some of you looking around like, where was that? There it is. When you need a super thick, heavy shield. Are you ready for this one? Go to Isaiah 40. And pick up reading in about verse 12. I'm not going to do that. Preach the entire chapter to yourself. When you need a really thick shield. Hold up the Lord Jesus as your priest, as your prophet, and as your king. You do understand you have no right to go to the throne apart from him. 
You can't go to the Father apart from Jesus. You have no access. You have no entrance without the breastplate of righteousness. Aren't you thankful for the imputed? Hold him up. Hold the one up who was tempted in all ways but without sin. Hold him up. The one who was tempted in all ways according to Hebrews yet without sin. Hold up the sovereignty of God. Hold up the faithfulness of God and the wisdom of God. Hold up the all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-wise God of the Bible as the shield of faith. When you hold up all that God is for you in Christ Jesus by faith as your shield, you will not only survive, you're going to come out unscathed. Now, I used to light my grandmother's little gas stove. And I'd get down there real close. Sometimes she wouldn't have those long matches. They'd be short. And I'd stick it in there in those little almost like glass things, and I'd run it up in there. I'd turn on the gas. <laughs> Have you been there, done that? Eyebrows sing. Just curl up, right? And hair on your arms, just... <laughs> now, I'm not telling you you won't be singed in this battle, because you will. But I am telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, if you hold up the shield, you will extinguish the dart. Whatever He throws at you. Listen, folks, in this part of the warfare... We fight by fueling faith. And you can't fuel faith apart from this book. You need to be in it. You need to be reading. You need to be thinking about theology. You need to be with your brothers and sisters. I know BJ has three or four young guys that he's pouring into. When they have theological questions, they, they come to him and they're meeting and they're talking about it. We need a lot of this in our church. We don't need to be afraid of theology. We need to drink it. We need to know what our God is like. We don't need to be afraid of church history. We need to learn it. We need to find out why people believe what they believe. We need to find out why something changed in 1900 when, with the charismatic movement. You need to read. You need to find out why we're in the shape that we're in in our community. And people have no idea what they believe. And they just take things hook, line, and sinker. Folks, you can give a cow. Uh, an entire hay bale and put sticks in there. And he's got enough sense to eat the hay and not the sticks. Be careful. We may sense the heat. Hair may be singed. Eyebrows and arms. We're in a warfare. You need to fuel faith. We trust God to strengthen and build up the very thing the enemy is trying to undermine. Right? He's trying to undermine it. Build it up. So soak yourself in what God's word reveals about his character. Look to God. Hold up the faith. This is to know who he is and what he is like. The Bible says that we know our God by name and we trust him. Psalm 9 verse 10. Daniel eleven thirty-two 32 says the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. You notice how this is talking about who God is. And again, he is cruel. He's armed with cruel hate, and on earth there is no equal. Yet we don't confide in our own strength. Right? We don't. We trust the character of God. So, again, some of you may feel this warfare every minute. You know full well what's going on. Some of you may feel like you're on a vacation. In either case, I'm warning you, you better be ready. If you're saved, you better be ready. The fire arrows, arrows will come, and they have death and destruction written all over them. We shoot arrows that have eastern... We shoot arrows that have, what else, Jesse? Help me. Yeah, gold tip. I'm telling you, on his arrow, death and destruction. 
It's written on every single one of them. So on the authority of God's word, today, do what the Bible says. Take up the shield of faith. Look to our God. Depend on him. Trust in him. Bank your hope in him. Let him be a shield about you, as the Bible says. And let his truth extinguish the arrows designed to destroy you. And here's what we're going to find out. Are you ready for this one? I love Romans 8. But here's what it said. Here's what I know. When it's all said and done and you stand in glory, here's what you're going to know. Know in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right? That's where the rubber hits the road. And I promise you, if you're a believer, the only way you will conquer is through the one who loved you. So if you're lost today, I want to remind you, you're not really in this particular battle. Because... To be against, you're either for him or against him. But if you're saved, you're in this battle. Take up the shield. If you're lost today, only Jesus can satisfy your deepest need. Only Jesus Christ himself. Only he can satisfy. He's the treasure that the man found in the field. And sold everything he had to go back and purchase that field. I'm just telling you, he's the treasure. The Bible teaches that there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must, not can, maybe will, but must. You must be saved only through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray that this has helped. Some of us have been in this battle for 65 to 70 years. Some of us have probably been in this battle for 80 years, considering the age of some of the people in our church, maybe 90 years. Lord, there's different degrees of understanding. Uh, There's different degrees of fighting the fight of faith. Lord, would you help us as a church to take up the shield of faith? We have that breastplate. We have that belt of truth. We have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. We need to pick up the shield. Total belief and trust in the sovereign God of the universe. Lord, we trust you. We hold up the word of God. We we put it to memory. We think about verses like the Psalms that remind us that your word is a lamp unto our feet. We hide it in our hearts that we will not sin against you. We take the objective truth of the word of God and we appropriate it to life. The issues of life consistently. Not becoming spiritually dull. Not taking a day off in the warfare. But being mindful that we have an enemy. God, give us wisdom to see the dart as it's approaching. Hold up the shield. Extinguish it. Lord, your glory is at stake. And your great name is at stake. God, help us to honor your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Take Up Thy Cross. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say.
okay. Oh, there, I wasn't all the way clicked on. Some of you are glad. No. <laughs> Thank you for attentiveness to the word. I didn't see a whole lot of sleepers today. Uh, but I write your name down. And one of these days, at some dark place, I'm going to spring out and just scare the life out of you and say, wake up in my sermons. No, I'm just glad that no one in the balcony has pulled a Eutychus. And as the preaching of the word was going on in the book of Acts, someone, Eutychus, fell from the balcony. I am not Paul. So if you fall, you're dead. All right? I think others need to realize they're not the apostles either. Uh, But the fact is, uh, thanks for listening to God's word. And I hope you're going to apply it to your life. I think it's an exciting day to be a part of this particular body. I believe that. We had 40 people in our new members class on Wednesday night. It's so exciting to hear people hungry for the word. I don't know if they'll continue to stay after I get through the four lessons. But but the fact is, God is good. And we thank the Lord for working. Uh, Keep the gospel at the forefront of your mind. Forefront of your mind. People need to hear about Jesus. Watch for those just falling into the orbit of the grace of God and finding yourself right there in front of someone and they just lay it all out there to you and all you got to do is share Christ right there. Don't miss those opportunities. Amen. They're there. God has orchestrated that in such the way. We just need to let our obedience connect with his providence. We need to do that. Amen. All right, Brother David, I saw Don back there circling. Everything okay? All right. I thought there was an announcement. All right. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.